Hey everybody, welcome back for episode two of Bringing the Gospel to Life. I'm so excited to finally share with you my story of how I got the gospel to come to life for me. So we're going to cue up the theme song, listen to that, and then I'll be right back. So the real question is this, what does it take to make the gospel come to life? If you are struggling with what you believe, or if you do believe, but you want to feel the truth on a deeper level, or even if you're experienced in your faith and you want to deepen your relationship with Christ even further, what steps can all of us take to not just bring the gospel to life, but to cause the gospel to bring life into us? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Brian Robbins, and welcome to Bringing the Gospel to Life. All right, so I want just want to do a quick recap from last time. Um, I actually, I'll be honest, I totally just recorded 20 minutes of this podcast, and it was already so long, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this thing. So I deleted it, and I'm starting over. So I'm going to try to be a little bit quicker uh, so that I can get everything in here and not have to use all of your time today. So quick recap from last time. Um, this gospel is all about bringing the gospel to life, um, and I'm just sharing my experience. And again, with doing this, I'm not trying to say my way of looking at the gospel is the exact right way. I'm not trying to do that. I think a lot of times when people share their experiences, uh, other people kind of feel like, well, that's not how it is for me. And so there's like this internal conflict and I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is actually something I learned from a book. Um, if you've ever heard of the author, Brandon Sanderson, he kind of writes sci-fi fantasy novels and he's a member of the church. And there's this one scene in uh, one of his books called Way of Kings where there's a storyteller character and he shares this quote about storytelling that is so powerful. So the main character is really dealing with these internal struggles and he walks out onto this plateau. Um, it's just dirt, rock, and he sees this fire uh, this fire pit and he walks up and the storyteller's sitting there. The storyteller has him sit down and the storyteller starts telling him a story. And when he does it, the main character automatically assumes that the storyteller is trying to get the dude to change. And the storyteller at the end, he just kind of, the sto- the main character starts calling him out. And the storyteller's like, I'm, what's your problem? And the, the dude's like, what are you trying to say to me? And he's like, I'm not trying to say anything to you. And he's like, yes, you are. And the storyteller just kind of looks at him and he says this quote about um, storytelling and sharing that's so powerful. And he says, um, the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell us how to think, but to give us questions to think about. Too often, I think we forget that. And that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I'm trying to share an experience or multiple experiences, things that I'm learning in my experience and giving it to you guys. So at the end of each episode, I'm going to kind of give you a challenge, just something to think about, not because I'm right or because anyone else is right, but because this is just my experience and I believe it can truly help other people. So please forgive me as I go through this. I might be slow at some parts and I may not be as crystal clear as I want, but I'm just trying to share my story and I'll be awkward and I'll probably say, um, way too many times and uh, just go with me as I develop my voice and kind of work with this. So I think that's everything I kind of want to cover for intro stuff. And so let's, let's jump into my story about why this topic is so important for me. And uh, let's go from there. So as I said, um, this podcast has nothing to do with my seminary teaching. That's just the job I'm doing. And this podcast is just the podcast I'm doing. But obviously they intertwine, right? Um, and so at this point in my life, I'm hoping that I'm impacting people and making the gospel, helping the gospel come to life for a whole bunch of other people. Uh, but it wasn't always that way for me. And so I just want to share kind of where I've come from. Um, so you kind of see my background into why this is so important to me. Um, and hopefully it, it just blesses you and you're able to use the same thing. So, um, when I was, a, uh, I guess this story kind of starts when I was 13 years old and I got my patriarchal blessing. So quick background, um, 
I grew up in Utah, right? Um, and I had a perfect family. They were so great. My, I loved my siblings. You know, we fought just like everyone else. But my parents were great. My siblings were great. My friends were great. I had a great high school experience. I had a great church experience. I had great leaders. Like, I lived a very blessed childhood and teenage life, right? And um, the problem was, though, is that um, I always had a testimony of the gospel. Like, I believed. I always went and did the right things, Um you know, we all have rebellious stages and I, I did that, but like, I was a good kid. Um, but I never really felt like the gospel came to life for me. Like I, I didn't go to church and look at it as like this joyful experience, something I was looking forward to. I always kind of looked at all these things as just things that my family did. And I know I had powerful experiences growing up. Um, and I know like I had moments where I had people, my parents, my leaders, my siblings who helped me have great experiences where I should have kind of put the put the dots together, but I just didn't. And so I kind of, I grow up always feeling like I didn't have a testimony when I, I, I really think I did. Um, um, but I just didn't feel the energy, the, the power, the excitement, the life that's supposed to come from the gospel, right? And so um, as a teenager, I was really trying to figure this out. Um, and I, and I couldn't really figure it out. And when we, the story kind of starts when I went to get my patriarchal blessing. So as you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to share anything, but as you know, everyone kind of has like certain areas that they're hoping come up in a patriarchal blessing, uh, things like marriage, um, careers or gifts. Um, you kind of want to hear about your lineage. You kind of want to hear about like a mission. If you're supposed to serve a mission, there's just these like trademark topics that each of us are kind of looking for. Right. And so I was looking for those same topics, obviously. And so when we went to get my patriarchal blessing, I was like, okay, let's hear it. And um, as I started to hear it, I heard some things that for a little boy of 13, at least for me, they were everything. Because as a young person, and even now, my greatest desire has always been just to do the right thing. And I don't say that as like a, oh, I always wanted to do the right thing. Like, that's just, that's just who I am. And like, I always messed up all the time, but like I was always just trying. Like that was my that was my core desire, um, and I think the reason that was my core desire, um, like the original reason I wanted to go on a mission and I wanted to do all the right things and I wanted to get married, was because I wanted to do the right thing. But I think deep down, I think I like hated disappointing people, or I think I linked a lot of pain to that in my mind as a child. Like. Um, it just scared me to be someone who disappointed others. And so I just always, always, always wanted to do that um, because I was scared. I was scared of being someone who went not mainstream, who, who went off. I was, I was scared of not being the child, of being the child that disappointed my parents. And not because that came from anyone else. I think that's just what I was. And, and so when I got this patriarchal blessing, I, it was a dream come true because... Um, when I got it, I, it said some things in there. I'm not going to share the line specifically, but it shared some things that for my personality, it fit perfectly. And so I heard some things in my blessing, such as um, I was really close to my Savior in the pre-mortal life. And when I serve a mission, I would bring thousands to the light of the restored gospel. And I would get married and I'd have a family and bring hundreds that through that method to Jesus Christ. And I would be someone who would serve him with power. And I was like, oh, man, that sounds so cool. Like serving him with power. Like I'm going to be I'm going to be that person that I want to be. Right. And so um, so from 13 to 18, as I was kind of progressing towards my mission, it was always this moment where I was like, OK, when I go on my mission, I'm actually going to fulfill my life's purpose. That's how I always looked at it because of what my what my patriarchal blessing said. 
And so um, at age, age 18, when I was um, at BYU, I got called to the Alpine German-speaking mission, which is uh, Germany, Austria, Italy, Switzerland, and Liechtenstein. Um, and I was so pumped uh, for a couple of reasons because first off, it just sounded awesome. Um, it looked really cool in the pictures, but um, that's where my mom's whole lineage comes from. They're all on the German side, and that's also the same mission that my uncle served in. It was called differently at the time, but um, oh, I was so pumped, and I was like, I'm going to be the best missionary. I'm going to kill it out there because I don't want to disappoint anyone, um, and uh, I just I just wanted people to look up to me, right, and I, I know that may not be the most honest uh, or um, altruistic desires, but I, I think that's probably how I felt at the time. And so I, I went on that mission and I was so pumped to be that missionary that everyone looked up to do and that taught the gospel powerfully. And um, this next part's not supposed to be a sob story, but I had the total opposite experience. It was a nightmare. <laughs> like my mission was so hard. Like I wake up, I still have nightmares about going and going through it. And it wasn't a nightmare because I didn't enjoy it. Like my mission president... Um, and his wife were absolutely amazing. All my companions were amazing. I had a cool experience. All the members were amazing. Like everything was so, so great. But I always felt like I was failing at my life's purpose. It was the one thing I wanted in life was for this to work out well. And it didn't. Like my patriarchal blessing said, you'll bring thousands to lie the rest of our gospel. And people always tell me, you're planting, you're planting seeds for other missionaries to sow, right? But that's not how I felt. Like I always felt weak. I always felt like um, no matter how good I tried to be at the German language and like my German was good. Like I had a bad accent, but like I thought I understood the scriptures. I thought I got the gospel. I thought I taught well, like I thought I was a great missionary, but like it just never panned out. Like I helped a few people and there were some, there were a few baptisms, you know, people always say, how many baptisms did you have? Like that didn't happen in our mission. Like you don't, you hardly did it just happen that you found someone and then you baptism, baptize them. Like anyone who got baptized, like it was this long process. So I got to participate with a few people in helping them, but I never had that experience of going down into the water and baptizing someone that I'd helped. Right. Um, it, that experience never happened for me. And so coming home, I just felt like this utter failure. Um, and I, I was okay. Right. But like, I'm so hypersensitive about this just because it was in my patriarchal blessing. And I didn't want to disappoint anyone and I didn't want to disappoint God really. And I felt like I had. And so I came home from my mission kind of with this complex in my brain of like, I'm always going to struggle with teaching the gospel or helping the gospel come to life. And when I came home, someone made a suggestion to me that I should go actually teach at the missionary training center in Provo. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe that's how I'm supposed to fulfill my mission. Maybe that's where I'll make the gospel come to life. And so I went and applied there and guess what? didn't get accepted. I was like, Oh, like, okay. Yeah. I just stink all around at, uh, teaching the gospel. And, um, so I kind of got off that bandwagon for a while and I kind of just, I always stayed, uh, good in the church, but like, I just, I kind of stopped worrying about it for a while. And so for two years I went to BYU and kind of started just going through the motions, getting my degree. And so at one point I was pursuing a law career and I'd gotten an internship at a local courthouse and like, I hated it. And so here I was pursuing a major that I hated. I didn't know what I was doing. I was single, um, which again, 23 and single is not a big deal, but you know, with the Utah culture kind of people kind of make it that way sometimes, or maybe I was just making it that way in my head, who knows. And, um, one day I was walking across campus. I was walking on campus at BYU and I came across 
and this was like one of the greatest moments of my life. I came across my old seminary teacher. Uh, his name was is Shad Martin, and he's actually um, my boss right now. He's been there at so many incredible moments in my life. But I came across this guy, and uh, I was walking across on campus, and I saw him, and I ran out to him. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, Brother Martin, how are you? And he's like, good, how are you? And I'm like, I'm awful, like, <laughs> because, like, in my mind, like, my life was falling apart. Like, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, he looks at me and says, well, why haven't you come and signed up for my class? I was like, I didn't know you were teaching the class. He's like, yeah, I'm doing the seminary teaching program at BYU. And I was like, oh, like, like I thought he'd meant like for his religion class, which it was, but he meant for his seminary teaching class. I was like, um, I don't know, because uh, I, you know, I wasn't really too keen on the idea of teaching seminary um, for selfish reasons, totally right, because of, you know probably money and status and career. I don't know. I just, I just wasn't really psyched about it. He's like, you need to come try it. And I was like, okay, I guess I don't really have anything to lose since I don't really know what I'm doing with my life right now. And I went in on the first day of class and, um, I didn't know this, uh, brother Martin was teaching with another guy who was actually apparently like my long lost great uncle. Like I walk in and the other teacher's name is brother Robbins. His name is Rich Robbins. And he walks in and he's like, Brian Robbins. I was like, yes. And he's like, are we related? And I was like, I have no idea. And so we went and looked back and I actually asked my dad, I was like, do you know Rich Robbins? And he's like, oh yeah, he's like your grandpa's cousin. And I was like, why didn't you tell me like, I have like a relative in seminary teaching. And he's like, I don't know. It just never came up. And so I was like, what do you know about him? He's like, I don't know, but he's supposed to be good. And he is man. Like he is such a powerful teacher. So apparently I have this like legend in seminary teaching as some relative. And so him and brother Martin, like these two come and they're like this, these these saviors for my life. And so I go through this class and like, I love it. I love teaching the gospel. And, but I kept having these like flashbacks to my mission and to the missionary training center experience. I was like, this is not for me. This is not going to work out. And, um, anyway, I went through the class and they actually invited me to do student teaching. And so apparently they were like, you're so good at this. Like, this is going to work well for you. And I'm like, oh man, I was having this complex, but they kept telling me, they're like, you need to stop being held back by your past experiences like believe us we know it when we see it like this is going to work for you i was like awesome so i sign up for the student teaching and i i really kind of start to buy into this idea i'm like maybe maybe this is what my patriarchal blessings talk about maybe this is how i'm not going to disappoint god maybe this is how i'm going to bring thousands to the light of the restored gospel and and so i start going into this program and then of course i like really start to get sold on it and my hopes get up and i'm like oh my gosh this is going to work and then I find out this thing that is absolutely a nightmare. Apparently, if you want to teach seminary as a male person, guess what? You have to be married. And I was like, oh, like, of course, like the one thing that starts to work out for me, like I have to be married to make that happen. It's the only job in the world. You probably have to be married to make this work. Right. And so I was absolutely bummed and like it was it was such it was so devastating. And so I started doing the student teaching. But the whole time I was thinking to myself like this isn't even going to work out. I can't even do this. Like there's no point in me even pursuing this. And so as I started to do, go through this, my, my life's and my, um, really my mental health started to take a stage dive because it always seemed like whenever I tried to make something work out, it didn't work out. And whenever I tried to make, whenever I didn't care about something, that's when it like those things were working out. So I felt like I had no control over my life. Like there's a steering wheel in front of me. And like, anytime I tried to do it, it just got ripped out of my hands and, um, it just was awful. Well, we had this one moment where we were at a training meeting and this, oh, this was so cool. So, um, I was having an okay experience as a, as a seminary teacher, but like, you know, I wasn't crushing it. Like 
there were off lessons, there were good lessons, there were bad lessons. And I go into this training meeting and uh, Brother Robbins, Rich Robbins stands up and he says, if you're having boring classes, I'm going to reveal to you the exact secret of how to make the gospel come to life for your teenagers. I was like, oh, like, yes, like, like I'm excited for them, but mostly I was excited for me, right? Like this was like, this has been this complex since I was small, like I wanted to learn this. And um, he takes us to this moment where he's like, okay, you ready? You want me to reveal it to you? I'm like, yeah, give it to me. And so he takes us to DNC 42 verses 12 and 17. And he reads these verses and he's like, if you want to become a powerful teacher and he could talk because he was the most powerful teacher. I'm like, yep, give it to me. I'm ready. And he says, read verses 12 and 17. I'm like, okay. And he said, and it says, and again, the elders, priests, and teachers of this church shall teach the principles of my gospel, which are in the Bible and the book of Mormon in the, which is the fullness of the gospel. Verse 17, for behold, the comforter knoweth all things and beareth record of the father and of the son. And he looks up and he stands up and he looks at all of us and we look back at him and he says, if you are having boring lessons and people don't seem interested in what you're saying, it's because you're not teaching with the spirit enough. And I was like, okay, well, no, duh. Like, like, obviously, like, if someone's feeling the spirit, they're going to be engaged, right? And I was like, okay, brother. And he's like, now, you all know that. And he's like, but here's the thing is you don't know why the spirit's not bearing testimony in your classrooms. And I was like, huh, yeah, that's accurate. Keep going. And he says, it's all in verse 17. It's all in verse 17. And I, I go back and I read it. And I'm like, I don't get it. And he says, the problem you guys have as student teachers, it's not because the kids don't like you. It's because you're not letting the spirit do his job. What's the spirit's main job? And we look down and it says, he bears record of the father and of the son. And he's like, that's exactly right. You're not letting the spirit bear testimony of the father and of the son. Because what most of you are teaching, it's not Jesus and you're not teaching truth. You're not teaching truth or Jesus, which are both are the two things that the spirit will always bear testimony of. He's like, most of you, you are teaching your opinions and you are teaching behaviors. And I got to thinking about that and I was like, okay. And he says, think about it. Most of your lessons, you're using the scriptures to teach your students how to behave instead of teaching them about the savior. And I was like, uh, it wasn't clicking for me. And he looked around and I looked around and it really wasn't clicking for many other people. And he's like, well, I'm just going to kind of leave it there. But if this isn't hitting you, I promise you down the road, it will. That's the problem. I was like, okay. So I kind of went away from that and I kept doing my student teaching. And I'd read a book from Sam Walton that he, uh, or the, the autobiography of him where he's like, I spent more time in my competitor's stores than in my own store so I could learn what they were doing so I could put it in mine. And so I took that philosophy as a student teacher in my last semester of college. I wasn't taking many classes, so um, I went and watched a whole bunch of other teachers. And I kept, I kept saying the same thing. Like, it was inconsistent. Like, they would teach really well all the time, but whether it hit the students or not, it was like a gamble. Like, I could never tell when it was coming. And I couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't figure out what the missing link was. And so, again, this started to frustrate me so much because I couldn't figure this out. Like, why can't, the God, why can't I make the gospel come to life? Like, how am I ever going to bring thousands to the light of the restored gospel? How am I ever going to make my Heavenly Father happy? How, how am I ever going to use my talents and my gifts? Like, how am I ever going to become the person I want to be if I can't figure this out? And um, I started to get into this really negative 
place in my life because I was approaching the last semester. I didn't have a job lined up. I was doing seminary teaching, which I knew wasn't going to work out because I wasn't dating anyone. And like my life just felt like it was in shambles. Although I was totally completely fine just in my brain, as you know, all of us do. I was just making this such a huge deal. And um, it got to this point where um, I was not a happy camper. And I don't know at what point someone goes into depression, but I just mentally I was in this really dark place. And I always felt like a hypocrite when I went to teach my students because I felt dark and I felt sad and I felt really emotionally unstable. And my parents can let you know, like (laughs) I was not in a good place and I wasn't sleeping well. And my life just felt like it was in shambles. And so what happened is I, one day I was at a seminary meeting and sorry if this is too long. I just, I don't know. I'm hoping my story helps you see why I care about this so much. And I know this episode is going to be a little bit longer because I'm sharing this, but uh, I hope, I hope you don't mind. So I did the whole year of student teaching and I talked to brother Martin at the end of it. I'm like, brother Martin, I need to be done. Like, obviously I'm not going to get married. This isn't going to work out for me. And he said, you need to stay with it. I said, why? Like, I'm not even married. He's like, I promise this is going to work out. You just need to stay with us. And so I graduated and I accepted to student teach for another semester, even though I wasn't married or dating anyone. And in, in a meeting over the summer, um, I was sitting there and in a, in a seminary teaching training meeting, and I'd already been through that meeting because I'd already done it last year. So I was going through the seminary teaching student teaching program again. And so it was all stuff I knew. And I was in this really dark place and like, I just felt dark and awful. And so I, I stood up in the middle of the meeting and I left and I just walked out. Now this meeting was in the UVU Institute building. And, um, so I walked out and I was just kind of walking around the halls. And, um, as I was walking around the halls, I just kind of, I had this thought come into my mind, um, walk upstairs. And so I walked upstairs and I was like, why am I walking upstairs? And I got to thinking, so, um, one of the teachers at the UVU Institute, his name's Ron Bartholomew works there. And my mom attended a lot of his institute meetings and I was like, maybe, maybe I just need to go talk to him and just kind of see what he has to say. Cause kind of about how I'm feeling. And so I walked upstairs and I turned the corner and as I turned the corner, he turned the other corner at the other end of the hall. And I was like, whoa, like that's crazy. And so I walked up to him and I'm like, ah, brother Bartholomew, he's like, yes. I was like, I don't know if you remember me. He's like, I know exactly who you are. Um, because I actually served my mission with his son. And, uh, he's like, I was like, do you have a minute? And he's like, yeah, come in. So we sat down in his office and, um, anyway, I started talking with him and I, and I started crying cause I was like in this emotional moment of just like panic and my life's not working out and all this stuff. And, um, He's like, and this is kind of the conversation that will kind of frame my message. He says, what's the problem? And I was like, I have no motivation. I have no purpose. I have nothing. I have none of this. And he's like, you're, you're lying. And I looked at him and I'm like, what? And he's like, he's like, you have motivation. I'm like, no, I don't. And he's just like, why do you, why are you here then? I'm like, uh, he's like, if you had no motivation, then you'd be in your bed right now. I was like, uh, okay. And I was just like, yeah, but like my life is just awful. And I like started crying. He's just like, what is upsetting you so much? And like, I just kind of had this thing come out of my chest. Like, this is honestly how it's funny. I was like, I'll be honest. I'm doing seminary teaching and I'm doing all the right things and I'm being really obedient. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, but the gospel is not working out for me. And no matter how much I do everything I'm supposed to do, none of this is working out for me. And he's like, okay. 
And I was like, but you know, I know the really frustrating thing is. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I was like, well, I just have the new Testament for a whole year. And you want to know what the new Testament's about? And he says, what? And I says, it's a book about a whole bunch of people who don't deserve what they get from God, but he blesses them anyway. And that ticks me off because I'm doing everything I am supposed to, and I don't feel like I'm getting blessed. And they did nothing that they were supposed to, and they got completely blessed. And he just looked at me and he smiled. And he said, you're getting it. I said, what? And he says, you're finally starting to understand grace. I said, what does that mean? And he says, let me ask you a question. Let me see if I'm right. And I said, okay. And he says, tell me this. When you go to church, are you bored out of your mind? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, when you go watch other people teach, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, I mean, I know they're good teachers, but like, it's not hitting me. Like, it's not. And he's like, when you teach, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't, I don't feel. That's the thing. Like, it's this intellectual exercise. And he says, I knew it. And he's like, it's because you're finally starting to understand grace and you're finally ready to go to the next level. I was like, what does that mean? And he says, you know, there's, so, there's a few tiers in teaching. Like there's tier three, there's tier two, and there's tier one. And I was like, what does that mean? And he says, well, tier three teachings, like it's good, but like it doesn't cause anything to happen in people. Like they don't feel anything and they just come and they leave. Tier two is like, tier two is like people understand it and like they might do something with it, but nothing really happens that's like life changing for them. He's like, but there's tier one teaching and tier one teaching a lot of people don't really figure out. I was like, well, so what is it? And he's like, I just need to show you something before I can tell you. And he's like, tell you what, you're really upset because you're doing everything right and things aren't working out for you, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, go home for two weeks and don't do anything. Don't do anything right. Don't read your scriptures in the morning. Don't pray. Don't don't do any of this stuff that you normally are doing. I'm like, that sounds wrong. And he's like, I thought you just told me the New Testament was a, a story about people who didn't deserve to get blessings and they get blessings anyway. I'm like, yeah, well, I honestly feel like that's how it was. And he says, go home, don't deserve your blessings, and watch if they come. I was like, okay, sure. So I went home for two weeks, and that is exactly what happened. Like, in those two weeks, I started to get happier. Um, I finally started talking to Mary again. Um, I don't know if I've talked about it yet, but she, she's my wife. And I'll kind of share our story another time, but I, uh, we had started dating and it actually felt good. It was like really working out and like all these things started working out and I was like, what in the world? Like, how is it possible that when I started, stopped doing everything I was supposed to, like everything just started working out. So I went back to him and I'm like, what'd you do? Like, <laughs> like, what did you do to me? Like, how'd you mess? How'd, did you, are you messing with me? Like, what did you just do? And he says, no, 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 you said it earlier. And I was like, said what earlier? And he says, the gospel is about a whole bunch of people who don't deserve what they're getting. And I'm like, okay. And he says, the problem with most people is that they try to make the gospel about them. He's like, most church meetings are about behavior and they're about opinions and he literally like used the same words that Rich Robbins had used a few months ago. I was like, what in the world? Like that, like it freaked me out. And he's like, the problem with most people's church experience is that it's about them. It's tier two. It's not tier one. 
And I'm like, well, how do you make it tier one? He's like, I just need to make sure you understand something. You're following me, right? Like you went home and you you didn't do anything, but God still blessed you, right? I was like, yeah, he did. And I'm like, he asked why. I was like, I don't know. And he's like, what are you doing Thursday night? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, is your mom still coming to my institute class? And he's like, yeah. I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, come to my institute class and we'll figure this out. I was like, uh, okay. And so I went to his institute class Thursday night and he was teaching about Joseph of Egypt. And um, before the meeting, he kind of looked at me. There... It was crazy. There was like a, there was like hundreds of people. He probably doesn't even remember this story, right? But there's hundreds of people in that room and he kind of looks at me before the meeting starts. And I kind of, I kind of knew what he was going for. And he's like, he's just kind of like, watch this. I was like, okay, I'm ready. So, um, he taught Joseph of Egypt and, uh, you know, typical Joseph of Egypt kind of lessons, right? Um, lesson number one, uh, run away from, on uh, situations that could cause us to break the law of chastity, right? When uh, Potiphar's wife comes after him. Um, lesson number two, right? Don't don't hold grudges um, as his brothers kind of betray him. Don't hold grudges. Uh, lesson number three, God will get you where he needs you to go. And that one kind of resonated with me, right? Because that's what I was, that I was seeing in that moment. But um, so like kind of like these awesome principles were coming out of the story. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's teaching like this is so powerful. This is so good. And we got to kind of like the last 15 minutes of the lesson. And like I had, oh man, this epiphany, this was just so huge for me. And I'm going to fumble through this and I'm going to say this in as many ways as possible. And so I hope people hearing this can truly kind of make this mind shift. Um, And again, all gospel learning is good. This just took me to the next level that I needed it to be. And so he's like, did you guys all learn something today? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, did you learn something good that impacted you? And we're all like, yeah. And he's like, did you learn everything that you needed to? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, no. Like we, we haven't talked about the most important thing yet. I was like, what? Like, how have we not hit it yet? There's only like 15 minutes left. And he's like, you need to watch this. And he says, you all think that Joseph of Egypt's story is about Joseph of Egypt. I'm like, yeah, well, that makes sense. He's like, while that is okay and we can pull that from this, He's like, that's not what this story's about. He's like, that's not what this story's about at all. He said, let me show you something. And he put up on the screen, he put up a column at the top and it said Joseph. And at the right, there was another column. And above it, there was a big question mark. And he said, I'm going to go through Joseph of Egypt's story one more time. And I need to make sure you know how this story goes. And uh, so he starts going through Joseph Egypt's story. So he says, first off, what happens with Joseph Egypt? He's like, okay, so there's 12 brothers. There's a dad who uh, gives him a, a coat with all the colors. This is Donny Osmond, right? And um, he gives him the coat and uh, his brothers get jealous. They try to kill him. So they throw him in a pit. And instead of throwing him in a pit, they're like, now nah, let's sell him for money. So they sell him for 40 pieces of silver. And um, uh, he sells him into slavery and he has the dream. And then he goes before... Pharaoh interprets the dream and then he's made a ruler after his trial and then when he's made a ruler and then there's the drought in the land his brothers come to him and he kind of plays a trick on him gets him to come back and then at the end he they realize it's him and he uh and that's kind of the story he's like that's all the story you're all familiar with that right we're like yeah and he's like okay now I need you to watch this he's like I don't know how people miss this he's like but this is really what's going on in this story and on his slideshow, he has the Joseph column with all elements of the story. And then with the question mark, he replaces it 
with, can you guess what it is? So there's Joseph, all the life and events. There's a big line. And then at the top with the big line underneath, there's a question mark and he pushes the button and the question mark changes from question mark to Jesus. There's Joseph and there's Jesus. And he's like, are you ready? And we're all like, yeah, we're ready. And he says, okay, I need you to think about something. I need you to think about a story where there's a father who has a son and he's more favored than all of his other sons. We're like, what? He's like, think about it. What am I talking about right now? A story of a father who has a son who's favored more than all of his other children. And he puts up under the Jesus column, he says, my beloved son. And I was like, okay. And he's like, think about it. What story is there where there's a son who's favored and all of that son's brothers want to kill him? And then he flashed a picture of Jesus on the cross up there. And I was like, oh my goodness. And he says, think about it. Think about a story where he gets so someone gets sold into slavery for pieces of silver. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like it's Jesus. <laughs> like Judas sold Jesus for silver, and Judah from Joseph's brother sells Joseph into slavery. He says, Think about it. Who do you know who goes into a trial? And after his trial, he's made into a ruler. And I I was like, and I started crying because the spirit was bearing test. It was like flooding me, and he's just like, I was like, it's Jesus, Brother Bartholomew. And I wanted to yell at the top of my lungs, but like the spirit was like so thick, like I didn't I didn't want to ruin the moment. He's like, think about it. What is a story that after his trial, the favored son, all of his brothers will come up to him and will need his help? And I was like, oh my goodness, that's us. That's us. Jesus went through a trial and he was made a ruler because of it. And then we're going to get into a situation where all of us are going to need him. We're going to be in a spiritual drought and we're going to need him. And he's like, think about it. What, whose story, what story am I talking about when there's going to be a brother and all of his brothers are going to come to him and he's going to take the makeup off and we're all going to realize that it's him. And so we're all going to be kneeled before him and bow before him and admit that he's the ruler, that he's our king. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And he's like... This isn't Joseph's story. This is Jesus' story. This isn't this isn't a story about Potiphar's wife. This is a story about Jesus resisting temptation. This isn't a story about Joseph being a made a ruler. This is a story about Jesus being made a ruler. This isn't a story about um, Joseph not taking advantage of his brothers when he could have but it's a story about Jesus not taking advantage of us when he could and it's in that moment that's when like it struck me to the core and I realized oh my goodness that's what makes the gospel come to life I realized it I had I had a moment it was like this big epiphany this huge mindset mind set shift where I realized the scriptures were not written to make us think about ourselves or to make us 
um, think that we need to take actions. All of the scriptures are written to point us to Jesus and to do it in a way that will open our minds to a new perspective about who Jesus is. Okay? Tier 3 learning is just talking about a topic. Tier 2 learning is talking about opinions and behaviors. But Tier 1 is talking about the Savior in a way that inspires us and makes us want to become more like him. Let me, let me give you another example. Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Okay, This is one of the most classic stories where people connect it to Jesus. And what they'll do is they'll say, Now, when, G- when Jonah, uh, Jonah gets visited by God and he's told to go talk to the Ninevites and he's supposed to preach to them and Jonah wants to avoid this situation. And so he runs away and God uh, makes a whale swallow him and he's in the belly of the whale for three days. And um, then God spits him out and then he does what he's supposed to do. And a lot of people take that and be like, Okay, so what are we supposed to learn from this story? Tier three would be like, Okay, um, Jonah didn't do what he was supposed to do, and he avoided his responsibility. Tier two would be like, okay, well, since Jonah avoided his responsibility, what we're not supposed to do is avoid our responsibilities. And then we could have this whole discussion about what what uh, responsibilities are you avoiding in your life? But notice in both of those conversations, who is completely lacking from the conversation? It's Jesus. And when we do that, We do the exact same thing that President Nelson is trying to change about us using the correct name of the church. We've taken Jesus out of the story. And when we take Jesus out of the story, we make ourselves our own saviors. Okay, in your story, if Jesus isn't in it, if all you think about every single day is, oh, I need to do this better, I need to do this, or I need to read my scriptures, I need to do this, 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 guess what? You're making yourself your own savior. You don't need to do anything. Jesus did everything for you. That's the whole purpose of salvation. People think what the gospel is about is Jesus saved us, therefore we need to do a whole bunch of stuff. And that's not what the gospel's teaching. The gospel teaches, hey, guess what? Did you know that you had a savior that did everything for you? And what that should cause in your heart is this upwelling of gratitude and deep, deep love for him. I'll give you an example. <laughs> I, uh, um, I told my wife I'd do the dishes. <laughs> and um, I didn't. And then the other day I came home and she'd already done them. Tier two learning would be, oh, well, since she does the dishes, I need to do the dishes. Since Jesus serves people, I need to serve people. No, no, that's not what the gospel is trying to do. And this is why a lot of people get really feeling guilty, and that's why the gospel doesn't come to life for them. Because all they think about is, oh, I'm not doing enough stuff. That's not what the gospel is supposed to do at all. The gospel is supposed to be like this. When my wife did the dishes, I had this feeling of deep gratitude and respect for her. And so from here on out... (laughs) All I want to do is do the dishes for her because she did it for me once. Okay, so let's go back to Jonah's story. So everyone takes Jonah's story usually and they're like, well, Jonah did, avoided responsibility, so we shouldn't avoid our responsibilities. That, that's not what the story's about. Can you think about a story where there was someone who was scared to face his responsibility? Can you think about someone who was so scared to go through with what he'd been asked to do 
he begged God to not have to go through it because it scared him so much, but he did it anyway. Jonah's story is not supposed to make us, it's not this behavior. It's not a virtue. It's not a moral. There's this guy named Art Azurdia. I, I haven't met him yet, but I want to. He's not even a member of our church, but he says this line. It's so powerful. He says, from cover to cover, the Bible relentlessly points us to Jesus Christ. It is not a book of virtues. Jonah's story isn't supposed to say, stop avoiding your responsibilities. It's supposed to say, do you realize how scared Jesus was to go through with this? Do you know how bad the city of Nineveh was? Everyone knew that Nineveh was the worst city out there, right? It was tied to Gomorrah. It was tied to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like this place was so awful. It was so dark. It was so sinister. This isn't a commentary about what Jonah should or should not have done. It's a commentary about the awfulness of what Jesus went through when he battled Satan in Gethsemane. And so when we read Jonah's story, we can talk about we shouldn't avoid our responsibilities, but I think what we really should be talking about is saying like, oh my gosh, do you realize what Jesus went through to suffer for you and me? Because here's the thing. When you talk about that, do you know what will happen on the inside of you? You'll be filled with such love and gratitude that you'll want to serve him and you'll go and do the right things, not because some story told you to, but because some story gave you something to think about. And then you'll want to go and do the right things because you will feel it. You will feel the spirit bear testimony of Jesus Christ because you're talking about him, not about opinions and behaviors. Um, we always talk about in the gospel how the first principles of the gospel are first faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second repentance, third baptism by mission, fourth for the remission of sins. But have you ever heard Joseph Smith talk about this topic? If you go to chapter 47 in the gospel principles uh, manual, um, Joseph Smith says this. He says, it says, Joseph Smith taught, it is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God. And then that will lead us to faith. Okay, it, yes, faith, repentance, baptism, endure to the end. Holy Ghost, endure to the end. But what comes before faith is coming to know about Christ's character. Okay, um, and so what we need to do is we need to use stories. We need to use church meetings. We need to do these things. If you're doing tier two learning, that's probably why you're not feeling the gospel has not come to life for you because you're talking about attitudes, about behaviors, and about concepts and opinions. And when we shift, when we go from talking about those things to talking about Jesus and then saying, hey, that's truth about the Savior, what does that make you want to do? What does the Spirit inspire you to do because of what you've learned about the Savior today? That's when the gospel truly comes to life for us. Okay, let me give you another example. A lot of people in Come Follow Me this past week did Enos. And a lot of people talked about how I need to pray more. The Spirit sometimes will bear testimony of that, but sometimes you won't because for some people that's right and for some people it's not. But what's this truth we can learn from Enos that applies to all of us? Well, where else can you think of a story of a man who went into the forest to pray for forgiveness and who went to pray for on behalf of his people, who went to pray on behalf of the people who were eventually going to kill him. 
Have you ever read Enos thinking about that? Oh my gosh, that story, when you read it like that, you will read through it and you will have things jump out that are so powerful because the Spirit is now bearing testimony to you of Christ. That's when the gospel will come to life. And so I was sitting in that meeting with Brother Bartholomew and like, oh my goodness, it was such a, it was such a life change when I realized, and he, and he looked at me and like, I was crying. He looked at me and he didn't nod or wave or anything. Cause he was teaching 300 people, but he looked at me and I nodded. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get what needs to happen for the gospel to come to life for me. I don't need to, to read harder. I don't need to pray harder. I don't need to do all these things. I need to come closer to the Savior. When, when the gospel is not about commandments, but it's about connections. When it's not about revelation, but it's about relationships with him. Then it'll come alive. Um, I hope I'm praying that I portrayed that clearly enough. And I know this took so long, but, but that, that's, that's really where this is going. It doesn't matter what level of the gospel you're at right now, right? It's, it's okay to be doing what someone else for, said to me as tier two, tier three, tier one. It, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying something's better than others and I'm not, no one should walk out of here feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing that. I'm the worst. All I'm saying is the scriptures and the point of the Holy Ghost and a point of the prophets, you can read. There are so many, Nephi says it so many times. I point to Jesus. Everything's about pointing to the Savior. President Nelson does this all the time, right? He gave a whole talk on the same thing. He said the exact same thing. That's what backs up this concept. President Nelson's talk about the correct name of the church, it wasn't so powerful because he was trying to get us to take a behavior, although that's what we did at the end. What he taught us was something about God's character and Jesus Christ's character. The thing he taught us about the Savior is, did you know that Christ gets offended when we take his name out of the church because then we are no longer accepting him as our Savior? Oh my gosh. I remember when he dropped that line in the talk, it was so powerful and the Spirit bore so much witness. Why did the Spirit do that though? Because he was teaching truth about Christ's character. And when we will use the scriptures and the gospel to learn about Christ's character and truth as connected to Jesus, then you will feel things. The gospel will come to life for you. Okay. Now I took, what are we at? 45 minutes now. This is taking way too long and I need, I need to cut it loose now. So I'm going to include a bonus episode. There's this guy, that Art Azurdia guy that said, from cover to cover, the Bible relentlessly points us to Jesus Christ. I'm going to include a bonus podcast episode where you can listen to just seven minutes of him teaching this. Um, but I, I just I just hope that makes sense. And so walking out of here, that was my experience. When the gospel and reading the scriptures no longer became about my opinions, when it no longer became about my behaviors, when I stopped trying to be my own savior, and all I focused on was trying to come to know him through the scriptures, through prayer, through church services. And then as I came to know about his character, learning things about him that hit me in the heart because the spirit bore testimony. And then I became inspired. And I thought to myself, what about this story inspires me? What should I do now? Then the gospel became a joyful musical dance, something that brought to life instead of dragged me down. And I want you to think about that. So walking out of here. Okay. Um, and 
with the future episodes, I'm uh, as I get feedback, I'll I'll try to clarify these things. And as people share their their thoughts and opinions, then um, well, I guess we probably shouldn't do that. But <laughs> as people as people share how these truths have impacted their life, see that's different. To share your thoughts and opinions is one thing, but to share how truth changes you and how what it makes you think about, that's where change comes, right? So as this truth. Um, as you guys start to read and you start to share with me and I'll, I'll start to clarify, um, we'll, we'll get deeper on this and, and we'll make it even more clear. And again, remember, I'm sharing this for the first time kind of in public in this way. Um, I just want you to walk out of here thinking about this. Um, why are you doing what you're doing with the gospel? Is it tier three? Is it, I'm just doing this? Is it tier two? I'm trying to become a better person or is it tier one? I'm trying to build a relationship with my savior because when I do that, I will become naturally as a result of feeling his love and his goodness, I will naturally become what I need to become. Okay, which one of those is it? I invite you, each of you, to share your thoughts and your stories with me Um, go to bringing the gospel to life on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Please comment, um, share, add additional insights, um, clarify where I may have not said it clearly enough or, or maybe help me say it in a better way. Um, think about that and please come share your stories because I know that this is what has made a difference in the gospel for me. And so from here on out, um, everything we'll share, we share will be so much shorter. I'll be so much shorter. I just, I had to share this kind of as the ground laying principle. So um, we'll give you more tips, tricks, thoughts, experiences about how this, we can make the gospel come to life. But the underlying principle is always this. If the gospel is not coming to life to you, it's because somewhere you are thinking too much about your own thoughts and opinions or other people's thoughts and opinions. And instead of allowing the spirit and the scriptures and the covenants and the ordinances and the temple to teach you about Christ's character, which will naturally fill you with faith, which will naturally inspire you to repent and to make more covenants and to come closer to the spirit and to Jesus Christ and to make more covenants with him and endure to the end. And then enduring to the end is no longer this, this struggle, but you're pushing forward with a steady hope and a perfect brightness of hope and a firm faith in Jesus Christ. So I hope that helps. Please let me know what you think. Let me, let me know uh, what I should add, what I should clarify on, and uh, what, what I should take away for the future. And um, I hope this helps, and uh, I'll talk to you guys on the episode tomorrow. See ya.